Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Autosport Podcast. We explain Maurizio Rivabene's departure from Ferrari and ask if Mattia Bonotto really is the right man to succeed him. and Maurizio Rivabene are over. It's finished. The Scuderia has announced his departure as team principal after four seasons at the helm and he's being replaced by former technical director Mattia Binotto, the fourth man to lead Ferrari since Jean Tot's time steering the good ship Marinello. I'm your host Ed Straw and joining me to dissect the latest machinations from Italy first is Jonathan Noble. Are you enjoying starting off the new year with a nice big news story? I always love a good news story in the morning. So uh, first day properly back to work and uh, it, it all kicked off about eight o'clock on a, a Monday morning but better that way than uh, twiddling thumbs until the cars get going again. It's good old school Formula One isn't it Ferrari uh, Ferrari heads rolling. Well exactly and it's been coming coming for a while it's been rumoured um, you know rumours always swirl around Maranello but you know normally a, a false rumour will come up once and disappear and go away again but this was coming backwards and forwards and going around and uh, it was quite interesting. I looked yesterday at what Maurizio Rivabene said in December last year when there were rumours that Binotto was g- going to leave if he didn't get his way. And his final quote 
was about his future was uh, don't ask me, ask Camilleri, the big boss. So I think there was a, maybe the first hint that a change was coming. Yeah, there have been rumblings. I thought for a minute you were going to say there that a rumour is just a premature fact, which is one of those annoying phrases that uh, isn't entirely accurate. Also joining me is Scott Mitchell. Now, you're probably F1's most active press conference question asker. Are you going to miss Arriva Benet's contributions? I'm going to have to find a new person to uh, to say something for the first time in public with the air of someone who has had to say this a hundred times already. He was, every question, you just got the right, okay, let's settle this matter once and for all. It's like, well, you could just settle it for once, Maurizio. Like, we've not heard from you on this. So, yeah, odd odd character became uh, became more uh, more public as, as last year went on, particularly after Sergio Marconi passed away. Um, I didn't really enjoy seeing and, and hearing more from him. To be honest, he was uh, a bit of a loose cannon, a bit quite quite aggressive, and by by all, by all accounts, his uh, sort of bullying sort of philosophy that we saw in the media was was reflected behind the scenes as well. Well, this is one of those things, isn't it, that uh, people talk about the the media complaining about his conduct, but kind of the way he acted in the media did reflect a certain way he acted uh, in his uh, in his leadership of Ferrari. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto that uh, shortly. So. Scott, I mean, you wrote uh, an excellent article for Autosport.com's plus subscriber area in Motorsport.com Prime explaining why everybody had to go, why Ferrari had to get rid of him. So what's the what's the summary of that? Why has this happened? Well, when he was hired, there was a, a letter, which I believe John had sight of because uh, he, he, he wrote the story when about why uh, Marco Mattiacci had been sacked before and why Riva Bene had been appointed his successor. And what Marconi said was that the reason he thinks... Arriva Bene is going to be a mega leader is because he leads in the same way as the type of person he is. That's that's Those are his leadership qualities. I have to say, he's uh, lived by the sword, die by the sword, because the the way he was as as leader is exactly the reason why he's been he's been dumped, because he was ultimately he's way too headstrong for the position he was in. He, he was a puppet of Marconi's for, for a few years. Uh, by all accounts, the amount of faith that he'd, he'd lost, given the fact that he was Marconi's dis- uh, appointed team principal, the person that he said, oh, this is the guy who's going to do it. The fact that he was planning on sacking Arriva Bene last summer before Marconi passed away tells you a lot about how far he fell in the eyes of the Ferrari bigwigs. And ultimately, he's gone because um, the, the, the capitulation of Ferrari's title challenge last year can be traced to a series of errors from driver and team. And that is, OK, Arriva Bene's not driving the car when Vettel slides off the road in, in, in Germany, but... By all accounts, you've got a driver that's trying to overreach, whether he's not got complete faith in the team or the car. You've got a team that's jittery and nervous. And then you've got a team boss who, when you have this sort of capitulation of the season, goes on the offensive, bizarrely, in Japan, when they had that that, that wet tyre decision in qualifying that made no sense, um, attacking the team. And then that continued until the end of the year. He looked, he looked like He went from a man that looked like he was on borrowed time to a man that was basically just sort of watching his world fall around him and just like firing wildly at whoever was in sight trying to blame anyone but himself. Yeah, I think the game game changed in Formula as well with Mercedes and Ferrari being so close that there's zero room for error. Um, Everything was shifting around race by race and uh, we saw Toto Wolff the Monday after their defeat in the Belgian Grand Prix wrote to all his engineers a really encouraging email telling them that, you know, we're not, we've got up in the position to r- fight for this championship again. We are not going to let it slip through our grasp. We're going to pull together. I've got belief in you. It was a very motivating um, approach from Toto. And, you know, Toto's just deep analysis about 
management techniques. Um, you know, this winter they use psychologists. They look after their staff. If their staff are tired, they send them home. They put them on holiday. They're they're doing everything they can to lift, you know, incremental gains everywhere to improve. At Ferrari, you just you got this feeling there was a, a siege mentality, a, a culture of fear for anyone to make mistakes. Um, and then they get into the problem where they're a bit behind. They're forced to take gambles because they need to try and do something special. And that manifests itself in Japan with the decision to go out on the wrong tyres at the start of qualifying. Or if anybody goes on the offensive in public afterwards, and it's all a big, unnecessary mess. Well, this is the big problem, that the, t- the, the guy running the team isn't the one directly making those mistakes, but it's all about setting the company culture, isn't it? The way you do things, and that Suzuka tyre call when they went out on wets on a dry track at the start of qualifying, it, it, it just smacked of kind of forcing people into overreaching. You need your team to make the right decisions at the right time, all the time, rather than just trying too hard. They seem to rush through some developments that ultimately they had to roll back on. And I think this is all this all reflects uh, a slightly incorrect approach to, to managing. It's about getting the best out of people and creating the conditions for them to get the best out of people, which Toto Wolf does seem to be very, very good at. Whereas Arriva Bene, you know, his the, the way he talks in the media was very, very similar supposedly to the way he treat people in private with a certain level of contempt, kind of trying to rule with a rod of iron, which which doesn't really work it doesn't get the best out of people certainly not when you've got a team of very very motivated people who are some of the best at what they do you need to make them have the confidence to do what they do you don't need to kind of bully them into into success and it's also the the confidence to admit when you've made a mistake and got it wrong um we saw last year mercedes you know they made a few strategy errors in races they weren't weren't wasn't a perfect season by all accounts but you know when they made the mistake james vows is on the radio to lewis saying, Lewis, you know, I put my hand up, I've made the mistake here. And that's a, a confidence that you can own up to your own mistakes and there won't be repercussions. Whereas I can't imagine, you know, anyone at Ferrari would have been willing to come straight out on the radio uh, and be so honest. Uh, we saw times in Germany when, you know, Sebastian was forced to push so hard because he'd lost so much time sat behind Kimi when the team should have been straight on and told Kimi, you know, total flat out, this is team orders, Seb's going for the championship, you pull over and let him through rather than, kind of dancing around the issue till Kimi screamed at them and said, just tell me what you want me to do. Yeah, I think Arriva Bene was a leader in, in title alone. There was n- nothing about his actions actually suggested that he had any decent leadership qualities because you, you're right, he he created this this, this blame culture effectively w- within the team. And, and I'm, I'm not surprised that we saw those errors from, from Ferrari because I think when we were talking about it before, Ed, you... You described it as it's the things like the um, the tire gamble in in Japan is an example of a, a of a race team personnel that feel that they they have to overreach because you have to take a risk to to achieve something big otherwise um, otherwise you're going to get criticised for it and then obviously that breeds mistakes because you're taking punts and gambles. There's quite a lot of negative there about Riva Bene. To play devil's advocate, he became team principal ahead of the 2015 season. 2014 was a bad season. 2015, they started winning races. 16 was a bit iffy. 17 and 18, they've been in the title fight. So you could argue that under his watch, they haven't done too badly. I mean, yes, Ferrari exists to win championships, but is there some good there or has he been incidental to what's happened? Well, yeah, I'd say that he's not been the... The, he's not been the orchestrator or the executor of, of of that. When when Ferrari had that turnaround from 14 to 15, I think that was largely because Bonotto had played a significant part in the improvement of Ferrari's V6 turbo hybrid engine, which they got really badly wrong. Well, the- it, well, interestingly, a lot of that rolls back to the pressure De Montezemolo was putting on the team before the hybrid area to oh, keep keep improving on 13. So they were late on the 14 stuff. They made a load of changes early in 14 under the 
the regime before Mattiacci was team principal under Domenicali to change some things, and then they were ousted. So those changes played a played a part as well. Yeah. So you know you've got Bonotto playing a role in the engine side that's important, and then you have this phase in in 2016 where it's all going awry for Ferrari, and then Marchioni says, "No, do you know what we need to have? Uh, we need to have a change." This Bonotto guy, I really rate him. Marchioni, there were a couple of key moments where he he showed that. That he was he was really warming to to Bonotto as as a as a future leader. So he then moves from you suddenly got this engine guy being put on in overall technical charge of, of the car. It's not an Arriva Bene decision, and it's not a, an Arriva Bene sort of doing doing anything to do that. It was the decision to put Bonotto in a more influential position, and then Bonotto executing that properly. That's what then sparked that seventeen eighteen turnaround. So no real wonder that when Marchioni sees Bonotto, a guy that he's put faith in before, producing the goods, you get to last summer when Marchioni's maybe sort of thinking, okay, not really convinced with the way this is going and he wants Raikkonen out and he wants and he wants Riva Bene out and obviously sadly passed away last summer but shows the uh, the extent and influence and wisdom of the man that even in even in death he's got his way. And it's one of those things that you had this situation where it became quite polarised between Uriva Bene and Bonotto. It became clear they couldn't both be there. And if, if you're Uriva Bene, let's say once Marcioni's stepped back and then and then passed away, the, probably the best thing Uriva Bene could have done is really teamed up with Bonotto properly and said, right, actually, let's we both we can both know what we're doing. Let's really double down. But then it seemed to turn into the old Marinello thing of politics and power plays and games. Yeah, I think so after, once Marcioni died. Um, I think Arriva Bene was became more vocal, um, speaking out much a so, lot yeah. more. Um, he still had a total lockdown with the media and would do the bare minimum to to help and assist and communicate. Um, which which wouldn't be a monstrous problem if that didn't reflect all the problems behind the scenes. Exactly, like, they don't have to speak to it. The likes but I think of us, what, yeah, but I think it, what it's was wide, I think. what was significant was that when he stood up, it was trying to strengthen his own position within the team rather than you know unifying everybody and and pushing on and trying to push forwards it was notable that um after sebastian's mistakes in the middle phase of the season proved so costly then the team errors proved so costly with with strategy that he then started pointing fingers at benotto and the lack of progress on the car when actually the car's been you know that one of their main strengths over the the past two years uh you know all teams have ups and downs with car developments you know no team gets it 100 percent perfect so when they had a slight stumble I think it's a little bit disingenuous of Arriva Bene to start pointing fingers and laying blame elsewhere for this being the reason why they didn't win the championship. Obviously, like a big part of it now is going to be whether or not Arriva Bene, uh, not just getting rid of him, but obviously who they've chosen to, to replace him. Because Bonotto, excellent technical person on the engine side, then he stepped up to the challenge of them being in overall charge of the team on the technical side. So, OK, he's met that challenge. Being a team principal Ferrari is, is all together, but you rate him quite highly, don't you, John? Absolutely. He's someone who knows Ferrari inside out. Um, I know when he took over from James Allison in the summer of 2006, having led the engine department, a few people were sceptical about why is, why is someone who understands engines being put in charge of you know trying to take on, say, Adrian Newey and Mercedes and coming up with the best chassis. But Bonotto is an organiser in the, the kind of Ross Braun mould. Um, you know, he doesn't design the parts themselves, but he knows exactly... Uh, what tools are needed, what tasks are needed, how to get the best out of the people who he's, he's operating. And he had a very much horizontal structure that allowed the junior staff and the youngsters to, to feel unshackled from having to report to staff who would try and take credit. Um, it allowed innovation to flourish. You know, for years and years, we had a Ferrari that was a you know very cautious, conservative design all the time, scared to do stuff. Now the last two years, we've had the, you know, the side pod design that they led the way on. 
The hollow mirrors have led the way on. The double battery system they've led the way on. Even some of the oil burning activities, you know, you know, operate in a grey area, but they've been pushing innovation, and that's been a, a key factor. And that's there's something Matea understands. Get the best out of the the staff you've got. Use the simulation tools, take the data, analyze it, and activate the, the best course possible. It's interesting you make the comparison to to Braun there. Gary Anderson, our, our technical editor, obviously was a technical director in Formula One for a long time. Um, he says he'd often be in the, the technical working group meetings that Ross Braun would be in, and he'd say that Ross wouldn't be the guy who had everything in his mind about what the car was doing. Gary generally working for smaller teams, being the type of person he is, would be able to answer just about any question about the car. Ross wasn't able to do that, but that's not a negative, because if a question was asked that required something specific from the team, he'd, he'd dive out of the room, make a phone call, speak to the guy who knows, understand what was going on, and report back to it. There was no kind of pretense of, oh, I'm going to pretend that I know about this and and play the game, whatever. It's And that, to me, was positive for Braun, because it showed a respect for the skill sets of the personnel and the specialists and that kind of thing. And that seems to be the quality you're you're kind of referencing there. That that ability to respect what people do and understand what they do and know where your knowledge. You know, if you're in charge of it, it's not your job to make the car, and you have to not take all the credit for it. You take some of the credit for management, but really understanding what your job is and you're you're there to kind of manage downwards, not just to keep whoever's above you happy. Yeah, the orchestra conductor. He's not the he's not the person who plays the guitar best, the drums the best, the piano the best, the trumpet the best but he's the one who knows how best to execute each of those um, musicians to come up with the best end product and that's very much what Binotto does you know the game's changed the, the days of one man designing a car and knowing all the different elements they've long gone it's, the cars now are so complicated with so many different factors that you kind of you need this mastermind that's overseeing lots of staff to, to hold it together even if they don't necessarily you know, have the full knowledge of everything that's that's going on, but they need to know that these people are giving them the right answers. And this is why, ultimately, keeping Bonotto is much more important than than keeping someone like Arriva Bene if you had to choose between the two. Because Bonotto has, what, responsibility for hundreds of employees at, at Marinello, and he spent the last two years working out and understanding how to get the best out of them. And because of his prior experience, he has a, a good understanding of how to get the best out of people in slightly different departments. Ultimately, Arriva Bene at the, at the top overall responsibility of that but he doesn't know he doesn't he never really showed that he was ever going to be that person that understood those needs and and would get would get the best out of them whereas Bonotto is uh sort of proven that he can can do that. Bonotto is an interesting case though because I think he's the only team principal among the people occupying that role who comes from a what you might call a pure technical background that you don't often now see technical directors moving into the team principal role. There are people with a technical background who come in, people with very good racing backgrounds. But that's the that's quite interesting with Bonotto. You kind of alluded to it there, Scott. But is there reason to believe that he'll be good when it comes to understanding the political part of the job, dealing with the commercial side, PR, all these other areas? Is is that a transferable skill? Do we think? What do you reckon, John? I think what what will be important is that. Um, Louis Camilleri and John Elkin give uh, Mattia the support he needs in terms in these areas where he's not expertise. Um, you know, he understands you know how to pull a car together. He understands how to lead people uh, and the management of people to to hopefully lift the operational side of things so they can you know execute this car engine package much better. He doesn't have experience of the commercial aspects in terms of you know bringing the sponsors on. Uh, we're ent- entering an intense phase of political discussions now as we head towards the 2021 rules, um, which is hugely intensive. You know, we see, you know, Toto Wolf has a lot of time spent trying to deal with all this. So I think it's important that, you know, 
Elkin and Camilleri don't overload Matia, you know, with some of these areas of distraction. Whether they need to get someone else in to assist to take this charge or take it on themselves is something. But I, th- I think I don't think they'll expect Matia to be leading the charge in terms of framing the 2021 uh, engine and chassis regulations, you know, the best way possible because that's something that needs to operate at a much more senior level. It does suggest the fact they've appointed him that they understand the weakness in terms of getting the best out of the team technically and operationally and that needs to be tackled. So perhaps they said, right, he's the guy to do that. And then you'd hope they then said, right, how do we give him that that support for these other areas he's not familiar with? I think one element that's very interesting there and, and is very important there is uh, I think we understand that the, the this, this decision and wanting to go with Bonotto over Riva Bene uh, has come from Elkin rather than Camilleri. And there's been a few whispers in in Italy, apparently, that, that, that maybe uh, Camilleri isn't, they're not 100% set on sort of what his role is going to be and sort of how how long he is for that Ferrari F1 world. But obviously, before last summer, you had Marchioni who was doing everything. He was such a puppeteer in, in, in the background. And it the, the one of the big factors on how Bonotto goes about his job, what he has responsibility over, and how well he can do his job, what freedom he is given to to work to his his best strengths is probably going to be how that relationship above him works because having those two that, that role split the president and the ceo role it's going to be okay well who has what influence is there going to be a power play between those two is camilleri going to be moved aside at any point like he is going to be subject to a much more complex working structure above him but then again bonotto isn't the puppet that Arriva bene was when it was fine for there to be one person pulling the strings because marchioni was the man with the plan he had the ideas and Arriva bene was effectively just his mouthpiece on the ground so very different working dynamic i think in the upper echelons of, of ferrari not but above bonotto as well not just in the team principal role i think the positive thing as well is that knowing how ferrari works internally i think there'll be plenty of people working the team who will be happy that this change has happened that's that's the key thing It'll be the people kind of on the shop floor, on, on the ground, who whose reaction will be a thing. I don't think there'll be many there who'll be thinking, oh, he's gone, that's that's a, a shame. So that probably says something, doesn't it? That they, Bonotto's a guy that the people working at the team as well can get behind. And if he's allowed to do what he needs to do with the other stuff being taken care of, then that could be very positive for Ferrari. Well, And it's a decision made for competitive reasons. Um, Ferrari you know, needs and wants, probably has to win a world championship for 2021, because you know everything will be reset when these new rules come in. Um, it's got a golden opportunity next season. You know, Red Bull switch to Honda will probably peg them back a little bit at the beginning. Um, Renault probably aren't going to be strong enough to fight for a world championship yet, and you can't really see anyone else in that midfield gap step, stepping up. So it's going to be another head-to-head with Mercedes. Um, they've had the best chassis, best engine for phases of last season. There's no reason why that won't flow over into next season. Um, this is their opportunity. They've got a shot. They've got the man in that they think can make. You know, it's only minor change. We're only talking about getting the team operating, maximising the potential of the car. Um, if they'd done that last year, if they'd imposed team orders in Monza, you know, Seb would have got would have been a very different psychological approach at that phase. Um, the points lost later on in the season. Um, they just need to step up, and I think Matteo can make those small changes that will make the difference. I think Sebastian has, has said quite a few times that he considers the most significant part of Ferrari's recent history to be 2016 when those changes happened behind the scenes and it created this better working environment at Maranello itself. So the the car production, engine production, everything worked 
better. It was more in sync. It, it, it was obviously a higher quality because they've challenged Mercedes the last two seasons. But and that, what, and that was when Bonotto was appointed point chief technical. Officer. Exactly. But what the, the way Seb puts it is that they've done that. Like it's not that the final the final step is obviously hardest because you need to make the transition into a race, not just a race winning team, but a title winning team. And, and we know how well Mercedes works and the investment and, and structure that went into making the last five years possible. But but in Sebastian's eyes, and, and, and it's very true, Ferrari has under it's already undergone the significant change it needs to. So though the big things have already happened. That's why we're now in a position where Bonotto can take charge. So now what's going to be absolutely crucial for Ferrari is the implementation of that. So it can make that, that final step that... That that's what what Seb calls it, and it depends how you look at it. Under Riva Bene, that final step looked like it was never going to be taken because ultimately the season fell away the same as it did in 2017 with with Bonotto. That that final step looks a little less daunting. Well, just to dig into that a bit, Scott, we have seen Ferrari on the peri- well in a title fight, but ultimately come the final few races of the season on the periphery and out and outside of, of title contention. So, what in a bit more detail? What do we think Bonotto needs needs to do? I mean, you've made it clear that. Doesn't need revolution by any stretch of imagination. We know they can make good cars, good concepts, good ideas. They can execute races well. Strategically, they've been mostly decent. A few slips started to come in. Well, I think Ferrari have already done one of the major things by removing Arriva Bene and putting someone better in charge. Because now I think I think Sebastian will now be more at ease, especially in a season where he goes in with the the young hotshot alongside him in Charles Leclerc. So this was going to be a really high pressure season and it will still be pressure for for Vettel to to respond to the Leclerc challenge but in an environment that he will almost certainly trust better than he has for the last couple of years I I suspect you'll see a sort of higher level Vettel than we saw in those weak moments over the last two years and I think Bonotto's job will be not to deviate from his management style or the way he's worked with people in the past. So the the race team, the members of, on the ground that he's responsible for, not the engineers back at Maranello, sort of have that same sort of confidence. And when they make decisions, they're making decisions that are on the right side of that that knife edge and and, and not it becomes sort of like not an educated guess, but certainly less of less of a gamble than we saw from Ferrari at times last year. I certainly agree. I think Vettel's performance will be an interesting barometer. Yes, he made a lot of mistakes last season and he has to take part responsibility for that. But I felt particularly the Germany mistake, the team boss's job there is to say, right, yeah, made a mistake, but no problem. You know, you're the guy. We've got confidence in you. You see Mercedes doing this with, with Lewis as well when he was struggling a little bit early in the season. They said, oh, well, once you've got the car right, it'll be no problem. It'll be fine. It's kind of that that confidence. And ultimately, Vettel could do nothing to eradicate the Germany mistake once it had happened. As he said, it was a small mistake with big consequences. But there did seem to be signs of distraction as well. I remember, that was it a Spa in qualifying when he came in to make a quick tyre change? And they were he was saying, no, don't do that. You'll damage the floor. It was all just this sort of sense of panic but you just want everybody to be calm. And that's what Bonotto does seem to be. He's a he's a, he's an engineer, isn't he? He's a calm, rational, sensible person. He's not going to be excitable. And we know Vettel is is somebody who does let quite emotion a lot of emotion come into his driving. At Red Bull, they were very good at keeping that under control. So that, for me, is, is a critical thing. Can they keep Vettel in the right operating window, as it were? That's a good test. Yeah, I think if, if Bonotto can reshuffle things and give the staff the focus and confidence to execute race weekends as perfectly as they can. I mean, there were times last year they had Mercedes on the ropes. You know, you look at post-British Grand Prix, I recall, you know, the, the feeling was that this is Ferrari's championship now. Post-Spar as well. Post-Spar, it looked 
looked good for them as well. So there were phases where Mercedes were on the ropes and it looked like things were, were heading Maranello's way and they stumbled and it, it didn't happen for various reasons. Some Seb, some the team. Um, so if Bonotto can make sure those those weekends where it can win, the team does win. Um, you know, you can't allow another repeat of Monza. Um, I know points-wise it wasn't the, the dramatic swing because, you know, Seb recovered and came back up the field. But psychologically, it was a huge blow. And I think exposed weaknesses... Uh, you know, it was depressing for the team. It lifted Mercedes' confidence. It was a moment of collapse, wasn't it? Yeah, almost. It, was, yeah it, was, it was. It was psychologically the most, probably the most significant moment. But I think that the Singapore performance from Mercedes, uh, you know, they were probably had their confidence lifted by Monza and went there stronger, and the car delivered. So if Binotto can make sure those those weekends are executed at one hundred percent, they're there. They've done the difficult bit. They've come up with a, the good car. They've come up with a good engine. They've got two fantastic drivers. Next season, you know, Seb will be under a bit more pressure, but, you know, maybe when he's under pressure, his game will be lifted as well. I'm sure Charles is going to do a, a fantastic job as well, and that'll lift the points and, you know, take more points away from Mercedes. Um, the ingredients are there. It just needs the, you know, those, those final boxes to be ticked to turn turn that potential into a silverware. Well, I was going to say that, obviously... Since since the news broke yesterday, yesterday morning, as we as we sit here now, obviously there's been lots of lots written about Arriva Benet, and John, you wrote something for Autosport Plus, Motorsport Prime on on Bonotto. But I, obviously, lots of people have been writing about it, and I read uh, I thought quite a nice turn of phrase from longtime Autosport man Mark Hughes. He the way he put it was the way um, the way what Bonotto did in the background and what Arriva Benet did in the foreground, basically, meant that by the middle of last year or end of last year, you had the best car on the grid being run by the worst team. And maybe saying that Ferrari was the worst race team of 2018 is, is a bit of a stretch, but that is it hits the nail on the head in terms of the main area that Bonotto needs to improve. Well, it's one of those things that also as the pressure builds up, the first half of the season, Ferrari was pretty seemed to work pretty well. They were very, very good. Friday to Saturday, simulator work, etc. They they were making big strides from, from Friday to Saturday. But then kind of as things get more serious, so a team gets tested. Mercedes has the advantage of well, last year it had the advantage of having four previous seasons of dominance to fall back on. So it it is easier if you've been there and done that in the immediate past just to say, well, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. This has worked before. But that that kind of that that's where the kind of being battle hardened and being a championship winning team's really done. When it start when the pressure starts to build up, you don't buckle under that pressure. It's quite easy early in the season because you know, if you don't win if you don't win the Spanish Grand Prix, well it's race five of twenty one, loads more opportunities. But when it's race fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and it, it the really the pressure starts to build and that's that's where Binotto needs to instill that calmness. And you need to need to think like a racing team. You know, Arriva Bene hadn't come, hadn't had a background of coming from a racing team and, and you need to you know, being a sponsor, you've got this romanticism about what Formula One is and what motor racing is and what the fans want to see. And, you know, I remember when he first joined, he went in the t- Barcelona test, he went and sat in the grandstand because he was so angry about the way the fans were being treated and thought, I'm going to do my own little protest and stand up here. So he looked like a man who was going to bring... <laughs> yes, he looked like a man who was going to, you know, do positive things for the sport because he had this view. But then that view didn't fit in well with a racing team that's fighting against, you know, the might of Mercedes. We know the pain... Toto Wolff went through imposing team orders on Valtteri Bottas, you know, the sleepless nights, the the anguish and the fact he hated doing it. But if you want to win in Formula One, you're going to be left with moments where you, you're you going to have to do something that goes against the romanticism of the sport. You're going to have to be hard. You're going to have to be ruthless. You're going to have to do something you maybe don't like doing. And, and I think that's where the difference between 
a Bonotto type who's got this racing background will do, will execute and do, and someone like a River Benny who wants to do the, the right thing, like in Monza, having his two drivers race, which is ultimately the wrong thing. Well, I think um, if you look at Bonotto, he's been at Ferrari since 95, always working technical side and engine side for a long time. So he's been there through a huge amount of, of success and failure. He understands it. He will know the kind of case studies from the past, and I think that should allow him to be dispassionate about about this kind of thing. And one of the things of if you're leading a team, you do have to make difficult decisions. Toto Wolff was not happy about what he had to do to Bottas in Russia. He really didn't want to do it. And it, he sort of the mistake he made was kind of going in the, into the race with this Corinthian ideal of not doing it, but then realised that when the race situation panned out as it was, it was actually no, no, we've got we've got to be cold on this, and he didn't do it lightly. But sometimes that's why you have to make the, the tough decisions. Well, the last few years, Ferrari has just looked like a team that even when they're in a good position, you sort of like back of your mind, you sort of think, right, how are they going to botch this? Like, what's going to go wrong? And um, it's it's such a far cry from the from the John Todd era when, especially obviously two thousand two thousand and four, when it was just like it was relentless. It was just you can't stop this. It's a freight train. It's a juggernaut. And the, what's interesting for Bonotto is that as a technical person at Ferrari, he was obviously effectively schooled by Ross Braun, watching how he managed things. And obviously, given how long he's been with Ferrari, he was there during the Todd glory, as he saw, where, however closely he paid attention to it, obviously, only he'll know, but he knows what it's like to be in the team that is run that way. He knows the benefits of it. And it's difficult to think that, given what he was exposed to from his early years in Ferrari, that that didn't play a role in why he ended up being the technical leader that he's proven to be and uh, that's what gives me some confidence as well that he he will he will transition into being a race team leader in in the same way and I suspect he'll also be able to do some of the things that Braun did I remember reading the book Ross Braun did with Adam Parr Total Competition I think it's called well worth reading some really good tidbits in there it talks about when Braun first went to Maranello he was amazing that he was amazed that press clippings would be distributed around Maranello each day which is astonishing I do feel in recent years under the Arriva Benning regime, there's been a bit... It's weird, there's simultaneously been not being concerned about media that much at all, but also being really worried about about what the Italian media is saying. So it's this bizarre imbalance going on there. But that is what I think Bonotto needs to do, just create the focus. You know, We know Ferrari, the pressure's intense, but he's got to make Ferrari just be another very good race team, not the Ferrari politically charged environment that it has been at times. And that's what John Tott managed to do very very well I mean you can't argue with the success and incidentally Todd wasn't exactly the best friend of the media when he was running Ferrari slightly different way but you know he'd sometimes be awkward when answering questions in his Ferrari days when John you were there there throughout that so it it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't just have to be nice to the media to do well but it's about the way you manage and lead internally well I think the the media is also about um, you know playing the message and using it as a tool Um, if you have a strategy where you uh, you know, totally block out the media, and then get upset when the media are writing wrong things about you. You can't can't have it both ways, really. So you either open the communication doors, use it. Um, you know, you can you just put pressure on Mercedes if, you, if you're you know leading a a campaign or some leaks and stuff that, that act as a distraction force. You know, this can help in championship battles. Uh, I remember um, middle of two thousand and I think it was two thousand six, getting a phone call from someone just. A simple phone call that just said mass dampers and that was it and I didn't know what was going on and you do start doing some digging and then you, you get a hole exposed about what Renault had been up to um, you know these are tools for teams to put pressure on their rivals because it all does matter and what is as much as teams say it doesn't matter what's written in the press it does matter what's written in the press because it's you know how the the fans are engaging how people are perceiving your team how your own team's 
perceiving because I'm sure you know people inside Ferrari you know they will read what's being written on the internet they will read what's in the newspapers they will see what's on television and if that message isn't the correct message if you're being criticized for stuff that you know isn't happening inside your team and your boss isn't doing anything to try and address that and help you out then I think you'll feel a bit undermined we have talked about the long term. We mentioned Todd, etc. John Ferrari hasn't had a drivers' championship success since Raikkonen back in two thousand and seven. Last constructors' crown was a year after that. So in the in the post John Todd era, we've had Stefano Domenicali, who was in charge for that 08 success, of course, close to the drivers' title as well. Then Marco Mattiacci, then Maurizio Overbene. None of them have achieved anything approaching what Jean Todt was able to do. So looking backwards a little bit in terms of what perhaps Bonotto can learn from from the past, why do you think that this has been? so difficult nobody's expecting Ferrari to win five consecutive back-to-back uh, five, five consecutive double championships necessarily but you expect regular drip feed of, of, of titles don't you well I mean they, they came close in the Alonso era um, 10 and 12 were both were yeah both so I mean they could you know if, uh, you know, if a, a butterfly had flapped its wings in um, Brazil or something and then the whole day would have turned out differently and, and Fernando could have been you know two championships I and mean, we, we reflect on the things totally differently and then when you don't win those championships the pressure to win the next one increases even more which then makes things even more difficult so you get into a scenario where not winning makes it harder to win um and then not winning the Alonso era led to the issues in 14 that you mentioned which they, they turned around and I think the Ferrari now the Ferrari we see now that have been for the last two seasons probably as strong as it's been since the end of the Domenicali era probably stronger than it was during the Alonso era but it's just missing that that final step, and it's had the maybe misfortune to come up against a Mercedes team that's probably one of the best we've seen in Formula One in terms of you know, benchmark engine, benchmark chassis, benchmark operation. They don't make that many mistakes, uh, and I think they realise that if they are going to win, they're going to need to be perfect. Braun's put it um, in the past at the end of last year that when you don't win uh, at Ferrari, especially when you've been in a position to win. The, the way he put it was that you face basically a national question in Italy. Like you get, he said you get condemned for finishing second, basically. So working with that pressure each year individually is obviously going to be very, very difficult. And you have this, what's it, decade long title drought now. It'll be 11 years at the end of 2019. That's assuming if they, they actually win something. Uh, that, that, that just mounts, doesn't it? It's like, it's like that pressure to the power of 10. So I, I, I don't, I have a lot of sympathy for the people that are put in charge there because you're it, it's a completely it's a completely different environment to work in than than being in charge of uh, Williams or being in charge of uh, Red Bull or even Renault or something because it's just such a national issue and you know Bonotto is the latest guy in the hot seat he's now the the solution to the problem but that's what Riva Bene was a few years ago. So we say we can't we can't know how it, it will turn out. But I think there are more fundamental, more substantial reasons to be positive for Ferrari that they're going to go back to where they were 15, 20 years ago rather than sort of just repeat the cycle of the last 10 years. It's interesting looking at the, the culture. There was a piece that ran in, in F1 Racing and it ran later on Autosport Plus and Motorsport.com Prime by Mark Gallagher, who used to be at Jordan, that led Cosworth, talking about the culture difference at Mercedes compared to Ferrari, that at Mercedes it's very much, you know, yeah, you hate you hate the mistake, but not the person making it. You try and tackle it. I mean, yes, sometimes you have personnel who don't fit in, but Ferrari's had this kind of scapegoat mentality. I mean, a few that spring to mind, 2010, see the strategy call in Abu Dhabi that, that 
Alonso reacting to to Weber's pit stop because they they basically strategically they had slightly disregarded Vettel. They were focused too much on Weber, and then Vettel won the race and won the title, and that led to Chris Dyer being ousted. And yes, obviously strategy was was nice to him, but rather than trying to correct the problem, they chucked someone out, and we saw later on. Um, remember we were on a train to Monaco or something when we heard Costa had been ousted. Which would have been 2011. Are we talking? Um, I forget. I forget my years. But Aldo Costa was was chucked out. So obviously, oh, you're no good, Aldo Costa. No good technical guy. Well, he's been absolutely integral to what Mercedes did. So you have to ask. Well, if you're just picking out individuals, that's that's dangerous. The sort of scapegoating, the blame culture, and this is kind of you, you could say that. Well, therefore, blaming Riva Bene is wrong. But Riva Bene seemed to kind of fit in with that that attitude that that sort of blame culture rather than tackle the problem you seek the blame and then that automatically as soon as you look towards that you get people trying to avoid the blame rather than just saying right the error's here here's how we prevent it happening happening again well it goes back to what i said earlier about james vowels having the confidence to come on the radio and say lewis i messed up we made a mistake um, and no, he's not going to be sacked. And no, he's not going to get sacked because I'm sure if you know that had been Ferrari and the, the th- that thing had happened and they'd lost a race win because of it, you know, fingers would be would be pointed. And I'm sure the Italian press would be much more aggressive in terms of you need to make this change to stop this happening. But that's not the way Formula One works. If you look at you know who Mercedes have taken on board, Aldo Costa came from Ferrari, James Allison came from Ferrari. Um, they've taken people who you know things haven't worked elsewhere. Uh, and they've got the, the best out of them. And I mean, that's, that's one of what Toto Wolf has done at Mercedes is very similar to what Mattia needs to do. Is you, you know, you've got quality people who understand this thing. Your job uh, is not to punish people when they make mistakes. Your job is to extract the best from every individual. And also valuing the contributions everyone's made. Everyone will have seen, I know Mercedes is in a position to do it because they've had so many wins over recent years, but we've seen all sorts of people going up on the, on the podium to collect the Constructors Trophy who normally they, they wouldn't be the obvious people on its team principal technical director the odd the odd engineer but spreading it around it's that kind of recognition that actually all your departments contribute into each other you know you can it's a technical exercise but you need money for the technical exercise you need pr and it all kind of feeds into it uh, to itself is that sort of virtuous circle isn't it i guess that's that's what ferrari needs to to build on because the ingredient the raw materials over this if we go back to the end of the toddy the raw materials have always been there haven't they they've never lacked for budget, they've never, for never lacked. People. They've never lacked budget. Um, there's been phases where they've they've struggled in certain areas, like the, the engine in 2014. Um, and they, and had think, to, they had to improve the wind tunnel because there were some limitations there, but they worked through that. Yeah, but they've they've gone through eras, and I think they've they've they're now on the you know the peak of their their climb up to the top. They now need to make a ensure that that climb goes on for another season, another two seasons, and they deliver. Um, to their best because you know there will be a dip there will be a time where the Mercedes slips back a bit and it's not going to be easy and I think when they face serious problems Mercedes then it'll be more of a a challenge it's quite you know it's quite easy to take the be high and mighty when you've you know won championships and say this is the best way to do it Uh, it's very different to react and um, talk about management strengths when you've finished second and and lost a, a championship so it'd be an interesting phase when that Mercedes era does come to an end, whether it's next season, whether it's 2021, 2025, 2030. But at some point, there'll, there'll be, there will be a dip because this is the nature of Formula 1. So, Scott, your final verdict. What does this mean for the, the season to come? And 
is it all positive for Ferrari? Does this mean that this should make Ferrari a more formidable title contender, assuming its car's good enough this year? I think even though it's inherent instability, because you've got a major change at the top, not quite on the eve of the season, but at the start of the year, um, it is a change that I would imagine was going to have an immediate short-term positive impact, because you're going to have a much more relaxed uh, environment, you're going to have a much sort of happier, motivated environment as a result, and then once we get to Australia onwards, you should see immediately a change in atmosphere there won't be that sort of tense nervousness in the in the garage or 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 in the pit lane so i think it will steady the the ferrari ship obviously we don't know what impact taking him away from the technical stuff will have on the development of the 19 car once it's built and hit the track but i i I think it's i think it's a positive move for the medium and long term that at the very least shouldn't have short-term negativity attached to it what do you think, John? If you were at Mercedes, would you be a little bit worried that this is going to make them even more formidable? Because obviously 17 and 18 were successively described as Mercedes' biggest challenge. So does this mean Ferrari's going to be one step up again? I don't think I think Mercedes is wise enough not to worry too much about what other people are doing and management changes on one side. Because they very much focus on what they can do, the things they can influence. Um, you know, They've not allowed complacency to creep in they're always pushing trying to find their own improvements elsewhere because they know anything they do can't influence what Ferrari are doing but I think they'll, they'll probably realize now that with Arriva Benning on the, the chances of the mistakes that opened the door won't be there as strong that they'll need to lift their game and it's one of these things in Formula 1 that when you suspect your opposition is stronger you lift your own game so you know will this end will a stronger Ferrari manifest itself in producing an even stronger Mercedes to to cope um it's one of the you know these things always ebb and flow and it's always unintended consequences from strengthening your team because at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you find one second of performance or you know brilliant at 15 races if your rival has found 1.5 seconds and make sure they're brilliant at all of them yeah exactly i think it's gonna be fascinating to to follow how it how it pans out this season i think we're all hoping for a slightly more formidable ferrari relatively speaking because we want to get that championship fight down to the down to the last race and a, a strong ferrari is uh, is good for formula one well head to autosport.com for all the latest news on formula one can't promise there'll be any quite so seismic stories but there's still a lot going on in formula one even in january so head there for the latest news and also check our plus subscriber area where the world's best motorsport journalists including jonathan noble and scott mitchell will be writing all sorts of in-depth features Pick up a copy of Autosport magazine out Thursday. That's got an in-depth look at the 2019 regulations this week. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. And for those of you in and around the UK, Autosport International from the 10th to the 13th of January. Public days are the Saturday and the Sunday, the 12th and 13th. Loads of star-named guests there. All sorts of great attractions, great stands, great cars to have a look at there, plus the live-action arena. So check out autosportinternational.com for tickets and information on that. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Independence. With that declaration, America was born. Inspired by a belief in the God-given rights of every human being. And in the good that comes from exercising these rights well. The founders of our great nation chose independence. As do we. Hillsdale College accepts no government funding because independence makes possible the good to which we aspire. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.